Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. Um, Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to study verses 1 through 17 this morning. And I want you to just be thinking about it. We, well, week after week, we have this privilege, regardless of the text. But just uniquely, where we are in the Gospel of John, we've been blessed to have a sacred privilege to listen to the last words that Jesus would give his disciples before his death. Let's don't just, let's don't just read. Let's remember. These are sacred words. We have a sacred privilege because they not only apply to them, they, they apply to us. He keeps reminding them to not let their hearts be troubled. He's been giving them wonderful reasons why they don't have to, they don't have to let their hearts be troubled. And, this, and one of the significant reasons why they don't have to despair is that he was going to send them the Holy Spirit. He was going to send them the Helper Not merely to be with the disciples the way Jesus had been with the disciples over those three years, but the Holy Spirit would actually abide, dwell, be in union with them, live in them. The Holy Spirit would remind them of Christ's words, comfort them with Christ's peace, fill them with God's love and the power to obey Christ's commands. That's quite a helper, isn't he? Quite a helper. So as we read our text this morning... I want you to be on the lookout, so be, be reading in, with intentionality here. I want you to be on the lookout for how Jesus continues to teach on the blessing and power that comes from being united to him, being in union with him. He's, he's, it's, it's not like, some, like you're a boxer and you go and fight the battle in the middle of the ring and your coach stays somehow in the corner. He's in union with us. He's in union with us. So I want you to be looking for those, that, that teaching in the text this morning. And I also want you to be noticing repeated phrases and words. Because there's so much repetition in this text, it really just automatically kind of tells you what God is really wanting us to, to take away from the morning. Okay? So would you join me in reading God's holy and inspired and inerrant and sufficient an authoritative truth. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's my Father glorified that you bear fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You, amazing sentence. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you 
that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, Lord, we're, you've really just given us our instruction about how to pray. Oh, God, we want to increasingly be more intentional and obedient to abide in Christ. Thank you for grafting us into Christ. Thank you that it's been grace that attached us to the vine, that united us to the vine, all because of the work he did on our behalf. But now we want to participate with you and engage with you in, your, in this life and in your mission and in the purpose for which you came. Oh God, we want to represent you well in the earth and we can't do anything of eternal value apart from you, regardless how well intended we are. But Lord, we, we don't want to just pray this prayer as individuals, God, we, we want to abide more fully in you as a church family. God, we want to more fully abide in your word as a church family. We want to more fully abide in your love as a church family, not just as individuals, because you keep telling us again and again, the way the world will know you're Christians is by the love you have for each other because you abide in my love. So would you help us, Lord? Fill us with your spirit. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word today. Transform us with your word. Renew us. And, and God, send us out of here today to be lights in the darkness. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the familiar phrase, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. One of the things that first came to my mind was this ancient VBS song. So realize, oh my goodness, you guys. You know, when I tell you, we're, I'm so excited. When I look in your face and I tell you, when, especially if you're younger than me, and I tell you, I'm so excited about our future when I look into your face because you are learning gospel-centered living, gospel-centered doctrine. You're loving Jesus as the burning, blazing center of your life way earlier than we did. And some of the things that we, some of the things we thought were good ideas a thousand years ago, we look back and go, maybe not the best idea. Jan and I were the praisin raisins uh, for VBS. So if you can picture, I think, do we do our, oh, just I did that, oh, sorry, I'm trying to drag you into that embarrassment. Um, so it was, we wore these gar purple garbage bags and put things on our hair. And I don't know if we face painted or whatever, but I think we scared more kids than we helped. Um, well, there was, there was an old ancient VBS song uh, that went something like this, and it was based on John 15 on Jesus being the vine and we being the branches. Here's the lyrics. Jesus is a peach of a savior. He's the apple of my eye. He prunes back the branches when they get too high. He bears fruit in season and his love will never die. And that's, and that's why I'm bananas for the Lord. <laughs> I'm so glad that the children's music that's being written, thankfully, by many people, but uniquely by Sovereign Grace uh, songwriters, uh, carry a little bit more biblical weight than that. And I, I mean, pray for me. I don't want to grow up to be a grumpy grandpa, okay? But sometimes I don't know that we're doing the next generation a favor by so trying to make what we're doing entertaining that we're, we're, not, we're not relating to them in a childlike way. I think sometimes we're actually becoming childish. We have the word of God to give our children. We can be fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for fun. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But So listen, that may be a cute and cuddly kid song, 
But you guys, I do not think it captures the intensity and urgency that's in this passage. That's what kind of breaks my heart when I think of the things we thought were good ideas back in the past because we didn't know the context of the scripture. We weren't abiding in the word the way we should have. Too often I think that, that we've looked at this passage and we've even maybe, maybe you've been in a context where we've talked about abiding in Christ, but we say it in, in sort of breathy, wispy ways. Are you abiding in Christ? Let go and let God kind of sort of this whimsical sort of thing as some sort of background music so that your quiet time has all the feels. So I don't, I don't know what we're, we've been trying to do with that. Those views rip this passage out of its context. That's why we try, that's why we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The context is king. And the more you understand the context of Scripture, the more you're going to experience the God of the Scripture. This is Jesus' farewell discourse. His last words to his disciples before he, dis- before he stands under the full fury of God's righteous wrath as our sin bearer. Last words are viewed as most important words, aren't they? I mean, don't, aren't there, isn't that one of the reasons we want to be by the bedside of loved ones? Because we want them to know how much we, we love them. But, but we, we want to have our radar up. What do you want to tell us in these last moments of your life? They're not merely to comfort our hearts in the way of making us feel better or happier. Praise God for that, too. We're going to see about the joy that God wants to give his people today. But these are words that are intended to put steel in the backbone of our faith. And I just don't know that I've looked at this passage that way. So maybe some of my passion and urgency is my own convicted heart that I have just been a leisure observer of the poetic phrases of John 15 rather than experiencing the steel, the strength they would give to my backbone in faith. Here's why I'm saying all of that, and and there's there's more ahead. Next week, you're going to see that the whole thing is going to shift into the fact that there's going to be persecution of the church. So this isn't just some whimsical little, little tour only to, to, to have a change of gears and now we're going to talk about persecution. It starts at the end of John 14. Jesus said that the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. I'm going to do the will of my father because of my love for the father regardless of what it costs me. And then he says this, and the English, it just doesn't carry the weight. Arise, let us go from here. As though it's just a change of geography. It's just a change of location. It's just Jesus plugging in the GPS about where it's the next destination. It's so much more than that. The theologians actually say that this would be better communicated if if it were heard as a call to arms. The, The enemy is coming. Let's get up and let's go to war. That's that's the heart of what's happening here. I'm preparing you disciples to go into battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. And it's all going to be dependent upon what I do for you. So stay close to me. Listen to what I'm saying. The the news will just get better after I'm gone because I'm going to send the Spirit. Spirit's going to abide in you. And give you that steel in your backbone. So the main point is in your notes. Jesus calls us to abide in him. As we live in a world that seeks to destroy our faith through persecution or seduction. Right now it's more seduction in the world we're living in. So that we will bear fruit in every season of our lives, every season, regardless of persecution, regardless of temptation. Oh God, as we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, the the result is fruit, Christ-likeness, witness, gospel witness 
that goes through all the earth. So that's our main point. So let's unpack it. To be a Christian is to abide in Christ the vine. To be a Christian is to abide in Christ the vine. The whole book of John has been talking about getting that connection made, right? These things were written so that you might believe in Christ and that in believing in him, you might have life in his name. So this whole book is about getting connected to him. But Jesus is wrapping now us up into the fruit of being connected to him. The, the, the evidence that you are connected to him because there's a union that has taken place. You didn't just sign some salvation contract and now, you know, God's up in the heaven somewhere. You're down here. You agree with the facts of Jesus being a savior and you're being a sinner and I'm just signing off on it, but there's no life in me. There's a difference that salvation brings to the human heart because it brings not just salvation, it brings the Savior. It brings the Savior to abide in our hearts. So the Gospel of John has taught us that Jesus is the embodiment of different aspects and symbols of Israel's history. As the bread of life, Jesus is the better manna. Do you remember when we covered that? As the light of the world, Jesus is the better pillar of fire. Jesus is the better Moses. He's the better temple. And in our text this morning, Jesus gives us the last of the seven I am statements when he declares that he's not only the vine, he's the true vine. Jesus is the better vine. Now that one you may go, can you explain that a little bit more? And yeah, let's, let's do that. The word would expect us to do that. Multiple times in the Old Testament, Israel, the Old Testament, Israel was spoken of as the Lord's vine. The people of God had chosen to represent him and glorify him throughout the world, failed miserably disobeyed horribly again and again and again. And sadly, every time the scripture speaks of God's people being a vine, it also describes them as bearing no fruit. No fruit. They have so fallen short of what the vine was supposed to represent in the earth. And then there's commentary about rebuke and judgment that would come upon them. I want you to see this yourselves. You know, a lot of times I put the notes, in, the scripture references in your notes. But I don't know. I thought sometimes we probably should actually open our Bibles. <laughs> Turn in our Bibles to these things. So would you open to the book of Isaiah? Chapter 5. And I want you to see for yourselves how Israel was called the vine. We'll just read verses 1 through 6. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. For those younger ones in here, they were yucky. They would make you sick. This would not be edible. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you, that I will do to my, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will also command the clouds that they, have, that they not rain upon it. And now, so you guys, the people listening to Jesus, they knew their Old Testament better than a lot of us know the, our Bible. 
they would have understood this vine imagery. They grew up hearing about it. And so it's, it's causing them to pause when Jesus says, now I am the true vine. Where Israel failed to represent the Lord and obey the Lord and point people to God for salvation, Jesus is perfectly representing the Lord. <laughs> and he is perfectly obeying the Lord. And he is the one who will perfectly and wonderfully save people, not just from Israel, but from all nations of the earth. You see why? He's the better vine, isn't he? You see, so that's, that's throughout the scripture. All of these things in the Old Testament were pointing us to the Messiah to come, the one who would be better. So to be a part of the vine now is not as it could have seemed before, that you are a part of God's people because of your ethnic heritage or because of your dada or mama. You weren't, you, you weren't getting in because you were a part of that family. Their faith isn't going to get you in, what Jesus is about to say. Their life, their beliefs... It's very clear now that to be counted as one of God's people, you have to be united to Christ yourself. You have to be united to Christ. It means that you find, what, what, do we, what does that mean? Well, he's saying from now on, the very definition of what it means to be a Christian is to be one who abides in Christ. If somebody were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Would that come to your mind? Well, it means to, to abide in Christ. I've got a new life. Christ has come to indwell me. And now I am called to dwell in him, to abide in him. Would you define the Christian life that way? It's not the only way to define it. But it should be one of the ways we are conscious of what it means to be a Christian. To abide in Christ the same way that a branch abides in the vine. When someone is saved by grace through faith in Christ, they are united to Christ. There is a union with Christ. That union is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Christ abides in them even as they abide in Christ, which is big time hope for people who, tr who just don't do well with obedience like me. I'm constantly falling short of the glory of God. Aren't you? I mean, aren't you sometimes, don't you sometimes get sick of yourself and how miserably you fall short in obeying the Lord? And isn't it so good to know? Oh, but Christ in me is my hope of glory. It's Christ in me. That, that's going to be my power and my strength to obey the Lord. So I may fall miserably. I may, I may fail miserably. But he will never let me go. And he is constantly at work growing my, not only my ability to obey, he's growing my desire to obey. I think that's another evidence of the Christian life. Now we can ebb and flow with that. But one of the blessings of, of, of Christ in us is that he is growing our desire for the glory of God. He's growing our desire to become more like him. He's growing our desire to live on the mission that he died for. It means that you find your life and love in Christ. You find your identity in Christ. Your reason for living is in Christ. Your forgiveness is in Christ. Your righteousness is in Christ. Your hope is in Christ. Your ministry and mission are in Christ. Your understanding of marriage and family are in Christ. You're doing all things for the glory of God at school or in your employment. That's in Christ. Your strength is in a long time, but that's enough for right now. Adam had a sense of what this was like before sin. He could not conceive of life without God being in the center of it. I mean, can you picture that? That sin hasn't come into the world. And all he is, is conscious about God. Life is God. I can't even define life except of a life independent from God. No concept of that. And he brings Eve into his world, right? And so in Adam and Eve, you could shorthand it by saying, God is life and living is loving. That's pretty simple, isn't it? That's, that's what it's like when God is the center, the blazing center of our lives. Life is God and living is loving the way he's loved us. 
Am I just too enthusiastic today? I, it's better for us than Adam. Adam was aware of God with him. We have God in us because he abides in us. In him, it's better for us. So notice there's a bunch of characters. There's three different characters that are noted in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is the true vine. God the Father is the vine dresser. And the disciples of Christ are known as the branches. As the vine dresser, the Father is committed to ensuring that the vine and its branches bear fruit. Well, isn't that great news? So, so this, isn't, this is not a sermon to say, you need to work harder at abiding. No. The Father is overseeing this. You need to work harder at bearing fruit. That would maybe be a, a better way to say it. You need to work harder at bearing fruit, doggone it. Uh, the Father is overseeing our lives to ensure that it produces fruit. Why do I say that? Well, let's look. Let's look at what the scripture says. He notices the branches that are not currently bearing fruit. The text says he takes them away. Did you see that? Now, there's, there's a debate amongst the, the theologians. And uh, later in the passage, you saw that there are going to be what appear to be branches, but that never were truly connected to the vine. And the result of that is judgment. The result of that is they, w- they will experience the consequence of their sins, of of not trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's where the fire comes in. Some of the, the theologians think that's what he's talking about here. And he may be, I could be totally wrong, but I'm landing on the other uh, way of understanding this text. The word takes them away could also be defined and interpreted as lifting up. So I think we've already got the other part in the text. But I think this part's talking about what the Father is doing to produce fruit. What the Father is doing in us to produce fruit. And so I'm going to look at Ben and Lindsay because you're my horticulturist friends. Is that even the right word? I don't know. But you grow things. You plant, you, you plant seeds and they grow. That's, that's what Ben and Lindsay do. And um, the, from what, what my understanding is that especially a young vine... Um, it doesn't, there are times that it just comes detached from the trellis and it falls into the dirt. And, and grapevines don't grow well. It, you're not going to get a lot of fruit if the vine is covered in dirt and mud and not exposed to sun. You ever feel like you, that happens to your life? Even after coming to Christ, you get disconnected from fellowship. You're, you guys, and it happened, please. Oh, man, there's so many things I I want to tell you before I die. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to think. Sorry, I'm not having a stroke. I'm trying to think. I I really would want to encourage parents. Having your kids in church is not a religious exercise. God... God doesn't use individual sermons as home run moments. I mean, they can be. There can be some memorable sermon moments for sure. The way God changes people's hearts is he uses decades of sermons. Decades of devotions in your word. Decades of prayer life. And it's just so easy, guys. You know, if you ask somebody nowadays... Do you have a home church? Yeah, home, home church. How often do you attend church? And nowadays, it's viewed as being a committed church attender if you go twice a month. Well, you know what happens? Sometimes I think churches shouldn't just send out like a financial statement at the end of the year. I think they should also send out an attendance statement at the end of the year. Because I think you'd be shocked. I think you'd be shocked. I think you'd be shocked that without malice or, or ill intent... You, you already maybe were just a two-time-a-monther, but then you just get sick. There's rallies, you get sick. Or there's rallies, you go on vacation. And, and all of a sudden, even those two times aren't as consistent as you thought. Um, 
when that happens? Is it any wonder that though we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're kind of finding ourselves in the dirt? We're finding that life is a little darker than it was when I first trusted in Jesus. I, I'm, I just don't seem to be exposed to the sunlight as much as, as I used to. And, and the vine dresser comes, isn't this just like a loving father, and he takes that vine, he washes it off, and he connects it afresh to the trellis. Aren't you glad you have friends that will help you with that? A spouse, that should, we, spouses should be experts at that in helping each other. Parents should be experts at doing that for their kids. We should be experts at doing that for one another because we all fall short. We all can get disconnected. We all can experience heartache and pain in life that we thought was pretty unfair. And we kind of push ourselves back from the table for a little bit and we just go, I don't, I still believe in you, but I can't believe you let me go through this. And we're finding ourselves more in the dirt of dust of life than we are in uh, the abundant life of Christ. I think that's what Jesus was saying when he said, hey, come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. All ye who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. So here's how, here's how he does it. Here's how he lifts us up. Take my yoke upon you. You see what they're saying? Oh, oh, it's abiding, isn't it? <laughs> Take my yoke. It's a two, it's a two oxen oak. It's not just a one. It's not just easy to say, hey, you by yourself, take the yoke upon you, and you give it your best shot. That's not it at all. You get in the yoke because you know who's in the yoke with you? Jesus. He's in the yoke with you. And so he lifts people up. And I just couldn't get over this this morning, guys. I, I just don't know that there's not numbers of us gathered here this morning that if we're really honest, we would say, I think I'm a little more familiar with the, the dust and dirt and some darkness in my life than I am the vibrancy and joy and rest and peace that God would, would want to give me. And I could, I could you know, that, that old phrase, I'm fallen and I'm really having some trouble getting back up. We'd love to pray for you today, okay? So I'm already giving you an invitation for prayer before we even get to the end of the sermon. We'd love to pray for you today. Please, all of us experience those times. Pastors experience those times. And God designed us to need help, and he's given us the church to be expressions of his love, to help us be reconnected to the trellis and remember our abiding in the vine. Does that make sense? Well, he's not, he doesn't just do that. He also notices, do you notice that it's not just lifting someone up? He prunes us. He prunes us. Um, well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, I, I am always shocked every spring. We have a couple of crepe myrtles at the house, and a friend of ours who's an arborist comes, and he prunes them back. And it, every year he has to convince me that he didn't kill my trees. <laughs> they look like death warmed over. They are just so ugly and barren. And how can anything come out of this? But it's amazing that God comes and he also prunes who? He, oh, he, I'm going to prune the worst sinners among you. That's not what the text says. For those who are bearing fruit, <laughs> I'm going to prune wait, I'm already doing pretty good, aren't I? You know, come on. Oh, no, listen, don't you have joy in what I'm doing in your life? Don't you have joy in the fruit that's being born? Yeah, I do, Lord. That's awesome. I'm, I, your love's amazing. I, I actually see some progress in Christ's likeness in my life, thanks to your grace and to the body of Christ serving and caring for me. And I, it's really exciting. And, and the Lord says, I have more for you. I've got more for you. But I'm going to have to do some cutting back to bring out the fullness of what I, I want to do for you. So what could that look like? That could look like a lot of things. Well, first of all, it's a loving thing. So turn to Hebrews 12. I want you to look at Hebrews 12. There's a little bit of a description of pruning in Hebrews 12. Verses 6 through 11. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. 
And in this, in this sense, the pruning is being viewed as some discipline. It could be some correction, but it doesn't have to be correction. If any of you have some athletic background or you, 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 you do some working out or things like that, you know that there's got to be discipline in that. There has to be a willingness to actually uh, work a little harder, to grow a little stronger, to bear a little bit more weight, to grow stronger, to bear more weight after that. So be listening to this. So my son, isn't that beautiful? It doesn't say, hey, you, you sinner. It says, hey, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. There could be correction. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. It's actually these disciplining moments that make you stronger, able to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. as it seemed best to them? Oh, but he, he disciplines us for, us, for our good. That we, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful, here we go, fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So often the pruning could be God pointing out things that are distracting you. You are growing. There is fruit being born. But there's a few things that are just keeping you from running the race well. And so there may be times that he's going to use some pruning to get your focus more fully upon the Lord. He uses pruning by reading the Bible. I hope, I don't know how many times you hear this, from pulpit, but I hope that in most sermons you're experiencing some pruning. I don't know if we're preaching biblical sermons if there's not some pruning going on, right? I mean, aren't we constantly in need of growth and refinement and fruit bearing? We want to bear more fruit. So it could come through your own Bible study, it could come through preaching. It can come through persecution. It could come through trials. It can come through loving correction. But it's just don't think it's happening because you're such a big sinner. The Lord will show you if it's sin that he's disciplining you for. But it could be that there's already fruit taking place in your life. And God just wants to make much of Jesus through you in ways you've never dreamed of. And so he's going to do some pruning. You're already able to bear a good amount of weight, but to lift, to, if you lift some more, oh my goodness, are you going to be able to, be, what, what you'll be able to bench, you would never thought you could have. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, Paul talks about pruning of the Lord. He puts it this way. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. For any who struggle with depression, here we go. Some of the greatest Bible heroes did too. He despaired of life itself. He didn't know if he could go on. He was going through some stuff. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But here's the, here's, oh, 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 that was pruning. And why? What was the good of it? Because it was to help us not rely upon ourselves, but upon God who raises the dead. That's good fruit, isn't it? So, Please know, that's why it's so um, fantastic that it's the Father who is the vine dresser. Because these things are not happening by accident. These things are not happening because it's just chance things going on in your life. Your heavenly Father is the vine dresser. And he is doing all things for your godly good. J.C. Ryle put it this way, it's in your notes. Trials, so to speak... Trials, to speak plainly, are an instrument that our Father in heaven uses to make his people more holy. By trials, he weans them from the world, draws them to Christ, drives them into the Bible and prayer, shows them their own hearts, and makes them humble. It's so good. 
Well, verse 3 is a mysterious passage because it sounds a lot like what Jesus said. And Alan preached on this. Go back and listen to his excellent sermon when he washed the disciples' feet. It says that you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word clean there can also be translated pruned. Um, in other words, when we are first saved, we are pruned in a sense, aren't we? We're pruned out of being in the life of Adam's race. We're pruned out of being slaves to sin. We're cut off from that old life and we're grafted into the vine of Christ. So there is a, there is when, when the Lord has convicted your heart of sin, he's melted your heart, given you faith in Jesus, your heart is melted with love and you confess faith in Christ, you're saved. You have been pruned, but one of the evidences that you're a Christian is that when you're seeing this pruning, I don't think any of us go, can't wait for the next pruning. <laughs> I, I wish I was that mature. I'm not, I'm not that mature yet. Um, but we accept it. We welcome it because it's a loving father who is making us more like his son and keeping us closer to his heart. Actually, probably the times we experience the greatest closeness to Christ is when he's pruning us. And so it's, it's, it's the, a way of saying you have been pruned. And one of the evidences that you're a Christian is that you recognize the need for ongoing pruning. Not being saved all over again, but being sanctified. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It's along those lines. So the word abide can be translated remain. It's really the central word, isn't it? It was used 10 times between verses 4 and 17. It certainly means to believe. That's certainly the introduction that we have into the vine. Um, uh, but it's also a command. It means you are actively and intentionally engaging with Christ in the life that he's given you. You're acknowledging that he's present with you and in you. You're growing in knowing his thoughts as they're revealed in scripture. You're growing to love what he loves and hate what he hates. You're growing to desire that God be glorified in all things. You, you see the great commandment and the great commission and you see them more than just uh, little boxes you're supposed to check off and you're being a good Christian. Christian. They become the compelling witness of your life. Isn't that wonderful? God's word begins abiding in us. And we're going to talk about this in just a second. But when it says love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself, we're not just looking at that as sterile commandments. It's actually becoming the desire of our life. When it, when it talks about making disciples of all nations, we're not going, well, I, yeah, maybe, maybe that's for some. I don't know. I'm a little scared about that. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should go out into the neighborhood with Doug. And, you know, I don't. No, no, no. What God does, he makes it a desire. The Spirit is in us. The Spirit gives us a love for these things. And it progresses. It's not perfect. But there's a progression in these things. Because he's abiding in us, and we are abiding in him. Now, I mean, sometimes I just thought of what, what could be some kind of litmus test so we can kind of see. Because it's possible to abide in other things besides Christ, even after we're Christians, right? Do you realize that? We can abide in some other things. We can try to find our life, our love, our happiness, our satisfaction in our spouses, in our kids, our sports, our work, even ministry. So one way I think that you can kind of see what's going on in your heart and where you are functionally abiding. So we're confessionally abiding for sure today as we read this text. But where you're functionally abiding is what areas of your life are you mad? What areas of your life are you angry you know, some of you know where I'm going. Where, what, what, what book and chapter am I thinking there? James chapter 4. Somebody say it. <laughs> James chapter 4. What does James chapter 4 say? What are the source of fights and quarrels in your life? Isn't it? the desires of your own heart? You're not getting what you want, so you fight for it. You're not getting what you want, so you get angry of it, about it. Maybe anger can get me what I want. 
Maybe anger can get my kids quiet or put my wife in her place. Wow. Is that showing me where I'm really abiding, what I'm really hoping is going to give me life? I'm wanting something so badly that I'm willing to get angry about it. I'm, win- I'm wanting something so badly that I'm willing to try to win a fight with you to get it. Oh, is that, is that a place? Wow, I never thought of it that way. Oh, Lord, help me. I don't want to abide there. I want to abide in Christ. When I'm abiding in Christ, I don't fight with people. <laughs> I don't, because I already have what I need in you, Lord. Where are you worried? Chances are, You're looking to something there to provide you the sap, the the joy, the love, the peace, whatever, that only Christ can give you. And you're just worrying about it because you're actually abiding more in that thing that you're hoping to get or you're afraid to lose. So maybe just a couple of examples that I hope maybe can can be helpful. Um, So verse 5 talks about Christ abiding in us and our abiding in Christ. Um, not to just bear fruit, but I love this, to bear much fruit. And he says, apart from Christ, we can't do anything. It doesn't mean we, we can change a tire without abiding in Christ. We can do a homework assignment without abiding in Christ. But eternal value things, becoming more like Jesus. You're never going to become like, more like Jesus apart from being in union with Jesus. Um, you're never going to understand the word of God apart from being in union with Jesus. Anything of eternal value. So what exactly would fruit look like? I think that's an important thing. Very simple one is, is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Some of you could say this with me. You don't even have to look it up. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, <laughs> gentleness, self-control. I always mix those up right in the middle there. But those are just expressions of Christ's likeness, aren't they? That's, that's the fruit he wants to bear in us. There's more than that. I think there's other ways that fruit is born. But it's, it's for sure that your character, your thought life, your desires are progressively becoming more like Christ's. You're filled or you're controlled by these character qualities. And be mindful. We talked to the men about this at the men's breakfast. The fruit of the Spirit is not merely intended to feed you or to be spent on you or to make your life a happier Christian life or a more comfortable Christian life. Because I, I, would, I would willing to say about 75% probably of believers think that the fruit of the Spirit is to make my life better. The fruit of the Spirit, it, it will be a blessing to you. But it's for others to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're constantly on mission for the Lord, you guys. The fruit of the Spirit, we want the the fruit of Christ to grow, to be more and more full in our lives so that more and more people could experience Him as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. We're not wanting them to first and foremost know us. We're wanting them to taste the fruit of the Spirit. We're wanting to see what Jesus does. He's not just a ticket to heaven. He's a life changer. He's a heart changer. Verse 6 is where it gets, you know, it gets the, it's just that tough passage when it talks about if you don't abide in me, you, you get thrown away, you get burnt up. So the Gospel of John has been teaching us throughout, this is not a new thought, that there are believers who are not true believers. There are disciples who are not true disciples. Jesus is just emphasizing again that there are also branches that are not true branches. They were never truly connected and they were never truly in union to the vine. They only had an association with the vine, most likely for the earthly benefits that they get out of it. I think there are people who are church and enters because they get a lot out of it. They're, they're loved in a way they're not loved at work. They're loved in a way they're not loved at school. It's just really nice. But they've never had a saving union with Christ. We know this is not a loss of salvation. They were never joined to the vine. D.A. Carson puts it this way. This is just very concise. There is a persistent strand of New Testament witness that depicts men and women with some degree of connection to Jesus or to the church 
who nevertheless, by failing to display the grace of perseverance, finally testify that the transforming life of Jesus Christ never pulsated within them. And I think that's what was being taught here. So these last two points are very short. So to be a Christian is to abide in Christ's word. So the scripture gives us some very practical ways of what, how can we be intentional about abiding in Christ? So if you were to abide in Jesus, his word would abide in you. There's a close parallel between uh, him living in us and his word living in us. So how is your daily diet of the Bible? I want to encourage you. I'm not talking about you need, like the Puritans, wake up at four in the morning and you be in prayer until seven in the morning. And then you read your Bible from seven to eight. Not, we're not talking about that. Here, take this away. Small seeds grow big trees. Do you know what 15 minutes of your Bible, being in your Bible, 15 minutes a day, do you know how God will use that? You will read more than you ever dreamed possible. Small seeds grow big trees. Not just reading the Bible, meditate on it. Let's say you read for 15 minutes. And and in that 15 minutes, what what section, what sentence really stood out to you? And begin meditating on that. You know, the Lord's, a familiar verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the Lord, the Almighty, holy, holy, holy Lord. Well, first of all, he should be my judge. This is meditation. He should be my judge before he's my shepherd. Something had to happen for the Lord to become my shepherd. Oh, the Lord became a lamb so that the lamb could become my shepherd. Oh, my goodness. So God is great and mighty and awesome, magnificent, but he's also very close to me like a shepherd. Oh, I need that. I need to know he's way more powerful than I, than I could ever imagine and more than I ever need. But isn't it so great? He's close to me like a shepherd and he won't let me lack anything that I need. That will change your Bible study. But we just, I don't know, because we're too busy, I don't know why we're doing that. I've told you, I, the Puritan quote, I, I, I misquote who it is, but the, the quote is that the reason Christians come away cold from reading their Bible is because they've never warmed their hearts by the fire of meditation. Well, you know, then some of you may go, well, how about memorize? Don't, don't check out on me. Um, it's amazing that when you meditate on the word, just by doing that. So look what we just did in Psalm 23.1. Just by meditating on the word, you begin churning it over and over again that you're already beginning to memorize it. Isn't that what it means for the word to abide in us? It's, it's growing in us. It's living in us. It's a living truth. It's, it's, it's God speaking to us throughout our day. Um, how else can you abide in your word? Share what you're learning. Your spouse, talk to your spouse about, here's a verse that I meditated upon today. I'm working on memorizing it. What did you read today? I want to hear what you read today. Share it with your kids. Share it with your discipleship group. Verse 10, he keeps kind of coming out this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments. Reminds us that abiding in the word is not just knowing stuff. It's not just being a hearer of the word. It's being a doer of the word just the way Christ was. And then he says, how about prayer? But do you notice he's associating prayer with abiding in the word? How about that? Are you, is that a joy in your quiet time? Or are you doing what I've done for years? There was a part of my time that was I read the Bible, and there was a separate time that I, I prayed my prayers. And my prayers are mainly, Lord, please bless, please bless, please help me, please help us, please bless. And never the twain should meet. Oh, my goodness, you guys. How about this? Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, he, he paid a high price to become my shepherd. He should have been my judge, but he became a lamb. He was punished so that I could be free. He's now my shepherd. He's so close to me. He won't allow me to lack anything that I need. Oh, dear God. And you turn that to prayer. Oh, I need a shepherd. 
Lord, I'm so glad. Thank you for speaking to me this morning. You've given me a pathway to know how to talk to you. I'm scared to death. I'm scared of the wolves. I'm scared of the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, God, please, please write these truths upon my heart. I want to know you're awesome and mighty, and I need to know you're close and near. And so now the words abiding in you, not just through meditation and memorization, you're talking to God about it. You're interacting with it. And is it any wonder then that Jesus says, and now ask what you will, and it'll be done for you. Not because you asked for the new, newest CRV on the market. You can ask that. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord wants to do in your life with that. But you'll be asking things that are according to his will when you're doing that. Do you think God doesn't want you to experience him as a shepherd? Do you think God doesn't want you to experience his great and awesome power? Do you think God's not wanting you to be freshly amazed that the Lord became a lamb so he could become your shepherd? Oh, and we get to talk to him about it. So that's that first section. And the last part is to be a Christian is to abide in Christ's love. Aren't you glad, you guys, that Jesus isn't like that sorry husband that we joke about, but I think too often lives. That sorry husband who tells his wife, I told you I loved you when I married you. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. I saw a few husbands walk down at their shoes just now. What's that about, guys? Aren't you glad Jesus isn't like that? Aren't you glad that Jesus daily wants to remind us of how much he loves us? And, and, and Jesus is saying, abide in my love. Probably the most important thought you can have today, you've heard this before, is we could even sing it, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. For the cross tells me so. For the indwelling Holy Spirit tells me so. Probably the most important thought we could have today, isn't it? And the high price he paid. Remembering the cross, remembering how he displays that love, remembering his faithfulness. And isn't it then that we're, we, it's his love that's compelling the commandment keeping of verse 10. And the more we abide in his love, the, verse 11 talks about the more, the more we're abiding in his love, the more we experience the Father's love, the more we're keeping commands as a way of life, empowered by the Spirit and empowered by love, the more we're experiencing the love of the Father. And then he closes it by saying, and you know why I say all this to you? Because I want my joy to be in you. And I want your joy to be full. So this whole lesson on abiding the, the ultimate goal of it is that you have joy in him in the way that Jesus has joy in his father. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. That should boggle us. Only Moses and Abraham were called friends of God. And now he says, because of Jesus, you're my friends. I want to let you in on some things. Isn't that what friendship is all about? I want, to, I want to share some things with you. I'm not holding out on you. I've given you my word. I want to share my heart with you. You don't do that with certain. You tell servants what to do. Friends, you share your heart. And Jesus said, man, I want to pour my heart out to you. And that's just what he's been doing in this passage. That's just what he's been doing. I'm sharing my heart for you with for you. I love to reveal the things of God to you. Stephen, would you come? The passage closes by praying. And so, uh, who's on our prayer team today? Becky and Brad and Sarah, would you guys come as, as Stephen and the team come? What a great day to respond in prayer. <laughs> And, you, and if you, you can come and pray with one of our prayer people, you could ask somebody in the, in the sitting next to you, hey, could you pray with me? You know, I just, I just, I want to ask the Lord to help me abide in him more than I've been abiding. I want to bear more fruit for him than I've been bearing fruit. And I know I can't do anything on my own. 
I want to experience more of the Holy Spirit's presence, active presence in me. Maybe that you've, it's been a while since you've experienced the joy of the Lord. I think that'd be a great prayer to pray. I just want to remember, I want to experience afresh the love of God and the joy of the Lord. But let's don't just pray it for ourselves. I, if, I don't know who's visiting today, but don't, don't raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. But I, I would love, I'd love to be able to talk to a visitor to say, did you, what did you experience here today? You probably first would say, well, the sermon's really long. Yeah, I know. Um, but I hope you would say, you know, I experienced in this, in this gathered group of people, a group of people who are intentionally in, in engaging, they're abiding in Christ. How do, we, how do you know? Oh, man, this church values the Word of God. This church really seems eager and hungry to have it dwell in them and to obey it in the name of love. In the name of love. Man, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that. How, anything else? This is a really loving church. You know, that's what people say about you. I can tell you that. One of the sweetest things I hear, you've got a really loving congregation. And you know what we could say is, oh, they're just abiding in the vine. Would you stand?